Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You're listening to another episode of Family Business Radio, hosted by yours truly, Anthony Chen. Today we have three great guests coming to us. Uh, We have Greg Lewis from Tennessee Center for Family Business, Monte McDowell from ARC Point Labs of Atlanta, and Erica Dumpo from CDA Inc. to kind of start off the show. Greg, welcome to the show, Greg. Hey, it's great to be here from Nashville, Tennessee. Right. So kind of share with us a story as to what got you started or uh, inspired you to open Tennessee Center for Family Business. Well, it really starts with my own personal story. Uh, Back in 1975, I returned uh, to my hometown to join our family business. Uh, I brought with me my uh, new wife and the first of our three daughters to uh, join the family business. Uh, I had worked summers and weekends uh, with my dad and our family business. And, um, um, you know, we came back to join the family business with all the hopes and dreams of being in business uh, with my family. And, uh, uh, you know, it's sort of like I could tell people, it's like a great adventure. You know, it's something that's happening. It's new and it's where I'm going to spend my life uh, working with uh, uh, people. But I really found out uh, after a while was, uh, I say it's sort of like the Prince Charles syndrome. Uh, Both the Queen and my father had good intentions of transitioning it uh, to their sons, but it wasn't a matter of of how, but it was just a matter of when. And so all we knew was that someday it'll all be ours, but we really realized it was not going to be ours until uh, they were no longer there. So uh, after 17 years of working with my dad and, and growing our business and everything else and not having any ownership in it and not knowing when someday it'll all be uh, mine, I ended up leaving the family business and, and um, it comes uh, there. So uh, today I've really been using the experiences that I have uh, in working with family businesses and realizing that uh, um, I'm not the only one. Matter of fact, the Small Business Administration says that in the next five years, 40% of privately owned businesses will be transitioning, but only 30% of them will be successful to the second generation and less than 4% to the third generation and beyond. And so working uh, with those family businesses who realize uh, that uh, planning is an important part of that, we've really uh, 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 spent our time working one-on-one, not only with the now gens, but also with the next gens, to create a plan in which uh, creates uh, an opportunity for uh, each part of the family, not only the parents, but also the children to be able to, uh, to be successful and to enjoy that. And, you know, around Christmas, it's really a time when we really uh, get a lot of calls. Um, We we find that families are looking, they want family harmony, um, and uh, especially mom uh, when Christmas and and Thanksgiving come around because they want want them to to just enjoy each other. Uh, They're looking for a shared vision for the family and for uh, the, uh, the business, and many times the dad doesn't really know what that is. And also, they want to implement a transition 
uh, plan in the business that's sustainable and also is good for everybody, of course. So, uh, fortunately, uh, families uh, really struggle with this, and they say, why does it have to be so darn difficult? And that's when they give... Uh, uh, Tennessee Center for Family Business and other family business advisors around the country a call to say, I need help. Well, it sounds like you've definitely gone through, uh, as you say, a journey uh, yourself. Can, can, you've been on the other side and also deep in it in terms of doing succession planning. Can, can you share some insights as to you know what keeps family business owners from discussing succession or, or transition planning uh, with their families and what, can, what steps can they do to at least in, start the conversation? Oh, wow. We do uh, day-long uh, uh, seminars on this, but I, I think a few uh, things there is one is just plain fear, and that's probably the biggest one is probably the founder is the one who started the business, had the vision. Uh, it's what they've done their entire life, and they really fear is they don't know what is going to happen uh, when uh, they transition their business. And the fear of the unknown is always something is part of a part of that. Another another one is, is that uh, they have a, a certain lifestyle that they've become accustomed to, and the and the business may be the the engine that's driving that, and they really have not are not making plans uh, to really to. Uh, cultivate uh, that wealth that they have in their business and transition it into some type of uh, wealth for that. Another one is is that uh, they have multiple children. Some of the children are in the business. Some of the children are not in the business. And they want to treat everybody equally. And we know that when we treat everybody equally, uh, that that's when conflict happens. So uh, we, we work with them to really to begin to understand what fairly uh, looks like when it comes comes to transition planning. Mm-hmm. So other than just transition planning of passing the keys on down to the next generation, um, what other factors or contingency plans should the family business owner or the founders uh, take into account? Well, contingency planning is one of those things that we really start talking to them about. It's not about death, but it's just about disability or uh uh, you know, who does your wife uh, call uh, the next day uh, if you should not wake up uh, that night? And I should say wife or your spouse, because it could be the husband. Uh, who do you call about your finances? Who do you call uh, as far as legal advice? Uh, do you have the wills in place to have that? Uh, do you have the insurance uh, in place for those things? I know in partnerships, uh, a complete conflict comes, especially in the contingency plan is, is uh, what would it look like if you woke up the next morning and your partner uh, was not, not your partner, but it was your partner's wife who um, might not have any uh, know anything about the company or and could uh, cause some conflicts there. Well, that kind of brings another thing into mind is, I mean, Going to succession or transition planning, how does one develop an, a kind of a, a dividend policy to kind of keep happiness uh, in the family? Because you brought a little bit uh, on that in terms of trying to quote unquote treat all kids uh, equally. Yeah, well, I think the key uh, uh, that you talked about there is a dividend, having a dividend policy. 
Uh, I talk to many families, uh, members who own stock uh, in their family business, and most of the time in those early conversations, it's been gifted uh, to it. But what would it, what would you uh, uh, think if uh, you own 10% of a company, uh, your family business, uh, and you work in it, and you get a salary or whatever for it, but you never uh, receive any kind of a dividend distribution, or even worse, what if you were a child who doesn't work in the family business and you own three, four, five, ten percent stock in a family business that you never receive any any kind of a dividend from it? So um, uh, we begin to start talking to them about uh, there is income that comes from working in the business, the the, the benefits. Uh, retirement funds, all those kinds of things, but then having a dividend uh, at the end of the year based on the profits of the work, based on your stock ownership, really starts creating a lot of great conversations at Christmas uh, time when there's when there's usually been a distribution just before or they know that one's coming right after based on their hard work for the entire year and their ownership in the company. Well, speaking of that, uh, in terms of... Uh gifting the business um here's a controversial question is should the family business be gifted or sold to the next generation that's good that's a great question and and we we firmly believe that there's there's many 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 options to that uh uh sure sure there are gifting opportunities for you to do that and certainly you need to get your tax advice uh, uh on what uh, portions that you can gift but we truly believe that that uh, per- buying the company by the uh, uh, next generation should be a part of any transition planning part of that. Now, it doesn't mean that your children or, or nieces, nephews have to come up with a pile of cash to pay you right then. But there are ways that out of future profits, uh, future earnings uh, that the company makes over 10 years that the um, uh, the uh, children can uh, begin to pay pay their parents for what they owe, and at, and uh, and then also the parents are receiving some type of income uh, from their business rather than the salary uh, that they might have earned uh, from it when they were working in the business. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of moving pieces and puzzles here. It's not just. Uh yeah. writing a contract and then kind of throwing the keys across the table and here you go. Uh, one thing that, that kind of jumps out to me is being able to communicate not just between the parents and the kids, but other advisors. I mean, how, how well, the question here is, I imagine everyone's going to have their own opinions. How do you manage uh, conflict in that regard? Well, I, uh the biggest way to manage conflict is to begin communications. Um, most of the time when I go into a, uh, to a, a new client, client family business and start talking to them is, is uh, 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 finding out what is the underlying issues. And I always tell people there's three underlying issues. The first one is communications. The second one is communications. And the third one is communications. People just aren't talking. And so, again, that communication process of, of actually talking uh, with the children, uh, with other family members about uh, what, what their plans are uh, and what they want to do. 
Uh, there's one thing that we all know is is that uh, that we can guarantee is that we're that that none of us are going to live forever. So begin talking about what it would look like um, uh, when you eventually have to. Uh, give up the business. Now, my father, I left the business after 17 years because we had no transition plan. And 10 years later, uh, he ended up closing the family business uh, uh, because at 85 years old, because he didn't have a succession plan and, uh, and ended up, unfortunately, having to file bankruptcy. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. That's kind of a, a lesson for other business owners who just kind of waited uh, too long or not wanting to have that tough conversation or communicate uh, their desires uh, of having some kind of transition plan, which kind of leads to the next question is with this sense of the topic, uh, communicating not just in the, in the family, but what about employees that are not involved uh, but are part of the family business? Um, how should they be informed or should they be informed? Oh, you most definitely you need to to be informed. It goes back to that contingency plan as well. If they are aware of, you know, not only are you you providing for the needs of your uh, personal family, but you're also have the family of all of your employees are helping you to build the success of your business, the profitability, uh, and the dividends and and distributions that you have, and so. Uh, your employees, especially your key employees, they want to know uh, when you are gone, who is going to be their boss, mm-hmm. who are they going to report to, and then uh, they they are much more likely to stay involved in the business and engaged if they know what the plans of the family are. So we 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 uh, really highly recommend that you begin having that conversation. Uh, with your key team members earliest as possible as you begin the transition process. Well, sounds like you've, you've gone through quite a journey as you've shared and also thank you for kind of opening up your personal experience or so for our audience and listeners uh, kind of on the other side thinking, oh, I never even considered that. Um, what's kind of a, a big advice you would like to leave for our audience in terms of at least now the holidays coming in? How to engage or even start that hard conversation at the table? Well, uh, uh, we've done some podcasts and blogs about the topic. Uh, we we recommend that at the Christmas dinner table uh, coming up in about a week is is that you don't talk about uh, uh, <laughs> uh, business. Uh, talk about uh, like we will be talking about uh, my uh, my my new grandson and uh, talking about hopes and dreams from him and talking about my, our children and talking about uh, um, my parents who uh, passed away last year and just talking about family and about business and about hopes and dreams for the future and park the business part and just enjoy that. I promise you that uh, the, the, uh, uh, the mother, the head of the household, I will be much happier if there's not uh, talking about it. I remember working with a family in Kentucky a few years ago that the mother said, my children stood on the front porch of our house and argued all day on Christmas Day about who was going to get what, why one person was getting more than another. And she said, Greg, I do not want to have another Christmas like that. 
Well, certainly wise words. Well, for our listeners, how can they best reach out to you and garner more of your wisdom? Well, there's several ways. One is, is uh, uh, you can uh, go to our website, www.tncfb.com. Uh, secondly, you can listen to our podcast, Family Business Today. It's on iTunes and uh, 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 Spotify and, and any of your, your platforms for that. Or you can send us uh, an email at info at tncfb.com and get a copy of our free Family Business Transition Assessment, which is simply 25 questions uh, that you can answer. Uh, you get the response back automatically, and it uh, gives you at least a place to have something to start talking uh, to your partner, your spouse, to your, uh, uh, to your children about the transition process. Well, thank you, Greg. You're quite welcome. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, next up on our guest, we have Erica Temple with CDA. Welcome to the show, Erica. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Okay. Well, kind of share with us uh, your story as to how you got started and what motivated you. Well, it was the same year, 1975. Um, I came out of graduate school and there were no jobs. Mm-hmm. So went into the health insurance industry and quickly discovered that there were no affordable options back then. Fast forward 46 years, it's no different now. So we are also a family business, interestingly. Um, I've had this since 75. My son joined me 13 years ago. So everything that the prior speaker said really is close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, can you share with us, as you're kind of going through this journey here, how did you have that conversation um, with your son, JJ, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it something that he was always interested in or? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, the office was at the house for 30 years. Mm-hmm. We had a massive room that we had six employees in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids from a very young age were filing, answering phones, taking messages if they happened to be home and in the summer doing more. Um, and he came out of undergrad with a degree um, and kind of looked at me and I said, well, we need an extra set of hands. So he jumped right in and he started at the bottom with all the grunt work. And now he has almost single-handedly handled the Medicare open enrollment and the individual open enrollment, which closes tomorrow. So it's been nights and weekends and um, it's been a tough time for him, but it's a real eye-opener for what it is to run a family business. Certainly, I can only imagine. So as we're kind of digging right, as you say, we're closing the window, like you mentioned, tomorrow. Tomorrow, yes. <laughs> <The> open <laughs> enrollment, a little stressful time. So thank you for, for taking the time uh, today. So can I share with you, well, what happens if someone, let's say, misses that window? That's a problem. Mm. Um, we have opportunities this year, thank goodness, to go through January 15th for a, a February 1 start date. Okay. So for the first time in years, there is that window. But if you miss that, unless you have a qualifying event, which is a loss of coverage, um, it is very hard to get Affordable Care Act compliant um, policies. The advantage this year is that the subsidies have gotten so large that I think it's caught people's attention. And a lot of folks are still checking in at the last minute saying, should I be talking to you? Yes, you should. Um, Where in the past people could not afford coverage either – the premium or the cost to use in terms of co-pays and deductibles, the landscape has changed even more so with the COVID. Um, the legislation there has been very positive for the consumer 
So we've got some really nice opportunities for people. Plus, some of the smaller groups now we are able to look at subsidized coverage for employees by dismantling the group plan, getting the employer out of the whole compliance set of issues and the expectation set of issues. Um, what I've said for years is if I do my job right for a group, everybody's miserable because someone doesn't have their doctors. Somebody else doesn't like the, the plan design. It's too rich. It's too lean. So this way, everybody can pick what they want. Um, the employer is hands off. They can use that, whatever money they had been using um, for something else. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other benefits in the, the whole benefit realm that people would really like. So if we can get them, if they get the employer out of the subsidy portion, which is now the government is stepping in, mm-hmm. by all means, for the time being, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely, uh, as you say, certain things don't change all the way back to the 70s oh, in yeah. terms of the cost <laughs> of, of healthcare and premiums is not like they're going down. If anything, uh, they're going up. How can employers kind of navigate around that? Is it even possible to control those costs? There's a lot going on um, for employers who are healthy or who have employees who are healthy. There are medically underwritten plans. We can cut 20 to 25% off premium. If groups are wise in how they use their claims dollars and have money left at the end in those contracts, some or all of that money comes back to them. So there's a motivator to pay attention to going to a freestanding outpatient surgical center instead of a hospital-owned surgical center. You You start cutting bills in half. You start paying attention to where you get your lab work, where you have your MRIs done. Um, we all need to roll up our sleeves. And in fact, for next year, we have a, a big um, program coming out of my company to just start reaching out to all of the employees of our firms and educating, educating, educating. So it sounds like as of the employer or incentivized to try to get their employees to be more healthier, take more active control yep. of their lifestyle, which from sounds of it, they would open up a window for them to reduce their premiums. Absolutely. And it's something that needs to be shopped every year. Mm -hmm. I am amazed at the number of people who just accept the renewal. Well, this year the renewals are 39, 49%. You cannot take that line down. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if someone, if a group has to renew into January or February, you can change your plan anytime during the year. This is not a problem. We can dismantle a group plan. We can create a, a group plan. We can go through medical underwriting, whatever needs to be done. But employers need to find a real partner in this. Trying to do it themselves is just impossible. So, so what you're saying is that the employer should not be trying to fly a Boeing jet. No, with with, a, with just the instruction guide and that's it. No, no, it is way too expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, then, kind of, you touch a little bit uh, also on, on the Medicare side. So, for there's a lot of myths out there. So, kind of <laughs> explain to our listeners, like, how does one know? whether they quote-unquote qualify or when they should enroll. Okay, so here here comes the most complex part right now of the health insurance world. When an employee or when an individual reaches age 65, he or she, as long as they have met their 40 quarters of, of qualified work, qualify for Medicare enrollment. If an individual is disabled under age 65 and either has Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, that person instantly qualifies or if it's an, a rather disability after 24 Social Security disability payments, they qualify. So then the question comes, should we enroll? Should we not enroll? So if someone works for a very large company, and not that large, 20 or more employees, they don't need to be enrolling in all of this stuff. And the, the feeling that, well, we just want to make sure that the government knows we're here. Trust me, they know you're here. They know all about you. 
So the, the need to enroll just isn't really there. In reverse, under age, under 20 employees, age 65, you better have your A and B in place because the carrier reserves the right to not cover the claims that Medicare would otherwise be responsible for. Mm -hmm. And that's the lion's share. So it's a little bit complex there. And then, of course, you've got the conversation, Medicare, Medicare supplement, Medicare advantage, Medicare drug card. It has become very overwhelming. Um, and someone yesterday said to me very nicely, I, I find it very unforgiving. I thought that's the nicest I've heard anyone describe the system. I think unforgiving is very kind. <laughs> it's, it's a lot worse than that. Yes. So can, can then share with those who are kind of scratching in their head and thinking, all right, well, this is almost like an alphabet soup of options yes. running through the whole gamut. How does one navigate as to being able to understand which option is best for them? Again, you need to partner with somebody. Mm-hmm. On the Medicare.gov website, there are two big handbooks, Medicare, My Medicare Benefits and Medicare and You. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it yourself, start there. Start a year ahead of time. Read everything you can. Talk to everybody you can. Um, if you're going to be a do-it-yourselfer, that it, it takes a year to make sure that you're making good decisions. Mm-hmm. I feel badly when people just make a decision based on what their friend, their family member, their neighbor did. Not everybody wears a size six red sneaker, and that's the expectation there. It just does not always work out well. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Well, then there's also kind of a, a hubbub in a political sphere of legislation, potentially looking to control the reimbursement on hospitals to and other providers. I mean, what impact will this have, not just in the healthcare world, but also the health insurance industry as well? Well, I'm more focused on the consumer than anyone else. You start cutting back on reimbursements. You immediately have a reduction in opportunity for access. Um, the, the dominoes start to fall. If an individual cannot access a doctor or a, a provider of some sort, he or she will not get the services they need, which then becomes the domino of a little nothing becomes a big something. Um, we recently uh, picked up a new client who was unable to afford health insurance, has severe diabetes, um, was not able to get to the doctor with the COVID, had an abscess that was not treated, and lost a piece of her foot in a surgery. So that is the most extreme that I have seen this year, but that is not uncommon. The costs of insulin, as an example, are just outrageous. The cost of some of these, call it preventive medications that preventing serious conditions are incredibly expensive. So when there is a cutback, it impacts on what people do, which ultimately ends up with a lot more um, emergency room use, which is more expensive than regular hospital use. Um, And a lot of it could have been avoided with traditional doctor care Mm -hmm. and compliance to whatever medical um, treatments should have been done or medical behavior the per individual should have practiced. So yeah, the, the cutbacks have been postponed, thank goodness for the spring. Um, but they are on the horizon. Well, when you say postponed, it sounds like just kind of kicking the can down the road. Yes, is, they are. is there any chance of this actually going through or is it just running in the background? Oh, it will go through at some point. Mm-hmm. The system is very expensive. Um, and we all kind of laugh if we could just get the $60 billion of Medicare fraud out of the system. I've got to believe there's $60 billion of under 65 or fraud. If we could just get that out, that would be a great start. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
there there are not enough pennies in the dollar. So something will have to be done. Um, how they do it and over what period of time, I would not want to be a legislator right now. Mm-hmm. Sounds like there's between a rock and, and a hard place there. Absolutely. So for those who don't want to read a too large phone book size <laughs> <laughs> instruction manual for Medicare and try to learn how to pilot a Boeing by themselves, like, here you go, uh, how can they best find you and get some guidance? Best bet is our website, which is cdainc.net. Um, I can be reached at Erica, E-R-I-C-A, at cdainc.net. Um, and our phone number is 770-449-7369. Um, we are a party of six. We are very accessible. Um, we do an awful lot of consulting. We do an awful lot of just regular conversations to steer people in the right direction. Um, and 46 years of doing this, I, I've got a little hint of which direction things may be going. Um, and based on people's medical history and, and their medical conditions, there are different recommendations that come up. Well, thank you, Erica. Thank you. Right. Our next guest, Monty McDowell with ARC Point Labs of Atlanta. Welcome to the show, Monty. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Anthony. So kind of share with us uh, your origin story as to what got you to start the business, what motivated you. Yeah. Um, so Arc Point Labs of Atlanta Northeast is a franchise. And um, I started off, I mean, not unlike a lot of people who, are, who come from corporate America, sitting on, you know, sitting on their, uh, their back deck, you know, during the pandemic, stuck in the house trying to figure out what their next move is going to be. Um, that's who I was. Right. So I had had some entrepreneurial thoughts over the years and never really pulled the trigger, um, but started to look at some franchise opportunities and arc point um, spoke to me just because of my background in human resources, been in HR now for 28 years. And um, the clinical side of the business is something that my wife, Lorraine, who's a nurse practitioner um, would be able to you know contribute to as well. Um, so, it was really born out of, you know, wanting to do something different, but also from a family legacy perspective, you know, so as you and I have talked in the past about um, family businesses and small businesses, that was important for me is to share with my kids that you can actually do something different and actually build a business of your own at some point. Um, yeah, I tell people all the time that I really didn't have those kind of examples growing up. Um, I was surrounded by people who did a lot of great work and, you know, worked really hard. My parents worked really hard for the state and for the university that where we're from, um, but not a lot of business owners around me. So I really wanted to show my kids um, that there's another option, you know, so that's, that's really where it came from. So as you were, I imagine, exploring uh, franchises, what kind of jumped out at you? You mentioned a little bit about the background yeah. uh, going, going to, to medical and, and your wife being involved. Mm-hmm. Was that your first choice? Or was it just kind of a happenstance as you were exploring? Yeah, yeah kind of funny story, right? So, um, you know, my wife would tell you if she was sitting here um, that I've had different thoughts of different franchises to, you know, to buy into over the years, um, whether it be a, uh, a quick service restaurant, uh, burger joint, or it could have been a fitness uh, uh, enterprise or whatever the case might be. Obviously, those two things are not really related. <laughs> um, they, they work <laughs> against each other. Um, but you know, none of those, you know, kind of business ideas or franchises I had any background in, right. So it didn't make a lot of sense for us. Um, being in HR, the drug and alcohol pre-employment drug screening is something that I've had to deal with my entire career. So I'm very familiar with that. The clinical side is where my wife shines, right? So she's a nurse practitioner has been in healthcare for the better part of 10, 15 years now. Um, so I knew that we could probably do something together, which was exciting for us. 
Great. So can I share with us, uh, what is ArcPoint Labs and where did the clinical part come in for our listeners who are yeah. just finding out you know, what this is? Absolutely. So so ArcPoint Labs is a is a franchise, as I mentioned, but they we are a we're a business that that serves businesses to keep their their work sites safe. But we also serve serve individual consumers, right, to make sure that they stay healthy. So on the business side, you think about pre-employment drug screening, as well as other wellness products that we have and services that we have for businesses. Um, COVID is obviously the hot topic these days. Um, the uh, emergency temporary standard uh, for vaccines um, is something that we are involved in, right? So it's obviously tied up in the courts at the moment. Um, but when businesses are ready to test all of their employees on a weekly basis and provide vaccines, we can provide that service. That keeps their work site safe, right? On the individual side and the clinical side, it's really about anything, you know, we, we basically offer 10,000 plus types of clinical lab tests, right? So anything from COVID testing for travel, um, it could be DNA testing, you know, so we actually service attorneys, you know, the legal field. So legal DNA testing, as well as informational DNA, DNA testing, as well as fun things like early gender reveal testing, right? So, you know, we'll have people come into us as early as eight weeks of pregnancy, um, wanting to know the sex of their baby. So we can do that kind of work as well. Um, so again, anything that, that you would typically go to any outside lab for, you can come to us for. So we're, we're a great resource for folks who are either don't have insurance or have high deductible plans and they're looking for a lab to, um, you know, to get their, their blood work done, they can come to us for that as well. So uh, on the business side, who are, as you mentioned, kind of the drug and alcohol testing, mm-hmm. uh, do you find additional standards? Because you scratch a little bit on, on the COVID mm-hmm. side as well, and also for travelers. Uh, are you seeing kind of a, a spike in demand in that regard from the business side? For for COVID testing or for other things? Uh, for Well, the COVID test, both for the business and also potential travelers. Because if I remember yeah. correctly, just not too long ago, we went from three days uh, recent test now to uh, one day. Yes. Yes. That, that creates a huge problem for, for travelers. Cause they, they, temp- they typically call us because they're trying, they're looking for options. They mm-hmm. don't know where to turn. Um, a lot of the research is on them to find out, you know, if they're traveling to a particular country, what's, what's the re- requirement, you know, which type of a test, you know, what's the travel, uh, what's the time frame that you have to get your test done, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So they have to do some of that work, but we do a lot of things in terms of consulting with people to let them know what we do and what we provide. Um, cause some people don't know the difference between an antigen and a PCR test and which one is required for travel and which one is just required to maybe return to work, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, we, we do a lot of just really educating, educating people in terms of the types of tests that they may need. Um, but for businesses, yeah, it's, it's truly a consulting game. You know, we, we don't, really do a whole lot of hard sales, um, knocking on doors to say, do you want this product or the service? It's really about what are you doing for the mandate? How are you preparing yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, we may, you know, help them come up with an option that doesn't involve us at all. Right. Um, I, as an HR person, I know what it's like to sit in that seat where somebody says, here's the problem. Now go figure out how to come up with a solution. So that's what we try to do is just to help you know business leaders and HR folks come up with the right solutions for their employee teams. It sounds like uh, you're, you're coming in, as you mentioned, your background in HR. You've been on the other side, so oh, you yeah. know exactly That's right. uh, what is it that they're going through. That's right. So other than kind of the elephant in the room, what, what other things they should be taking uh, into account for going to 2022? Um, really, it's about, um, again, you know, employees now, I think the, the term that's being used is the great um, resignation, mm. right? So employees are now, like me, trying to figure out what the next stage is for themselves, 
Um, and they may decide to stay with their company, switch companies, or do something on their own. So it really behooves a lot of um, HR folks and business leaders to figure out what their employee teams really need, what their associates need in terms of safety, a safe environment, a safe culture, things of that nature. So drug and alcohol has a lot to do with that, right, in terms of making sure that, you know, from a pre-employment, post-accident, random testing, that they're keeping drugs out of their work environment, especially certain work environments, you know, manufacturing, distribution, Mm -hmm. folks who are driving forklifts, you know, driving on the road, you know, things of that nature. So, yeah, 2022 is going to be really about making sure that you have the right um, culture in your in your environment and well and as well as the right infrastructure to make sure that you're keeping your your workplace safe Mm -hmm. is important to everyone. Great. So, so that's now that we kind of scratch just on the surface on the business side. Now on the con- consumer side, you touch a little bit on healthcare and those who can just take any form of testing from finding out eight weeks, or, yeah, eight weeks into the gender or gender reveal. Um, what other services in regarding to the health? Uh, can you give us a couple of examples for our listeners? Yeah. Um, so nutrition testing. Um, so people sometimes need to know what foods affect them. Right. So we have a uh, test that, re- that um, measures someone's, um, uh, you know, the, the impact of certain foods on their health um, and on their bodies. Um, we also do things like um, uh, I mentioned DNA already, mm-hmm. um, but we, we actually had a, an inquiry the other day, which is an interesting story. Um, someone came to us and said, um, you know, it was a woman whose mother-in-law passed away very early in life uh, from breast cancer. And there's a test called BRCA that, um, that tests for the mutated uh, cancer gene. Um, so she has two adult uh, children, um, young ladies, um, and she wanted to make sure, you know, she wanted to test them to see if they had, they carry this, this gene, right? So that's not something that's typically uh, covered by insurance. Um, so they called, they called us to find out, Hey, do you guys offer this test? Now, as I mentioned, we have 10,000 tests that we have access through, through our reference labs that we partner with. So there's no real way to, to have all of this and have my team memorize all 10,000 of these tests and how much they cost and things of that nature. So we just did a little research for her and lo and behold, we do offer that test. It's a very expensive test. Um, but that individual that reached out to us had no other lab in the area that she could find that could offer that test. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really about just making sure that people know that there's a lab in the area that if you call to say, hey, this is what I've been thinking about doing, you know, do you have access to it or do you know where we can go to get it? Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like it's not just for traditional because uh, when when you talk about uh, healthcare mm-hmm. uh, clinical blood tests, I'm I'm just thinking in terms of cholesterol. It sounds like you even go down to the nitty gritty oh, yeah. details of uh, potential genetic uh, inherited diseases. That right, they just question mark absolutely. In the back of their head. Absolutely. So you mentioned cholesterol. So that would be like a basic test that somebody could come to us for. Very inexpensive, but people tend to want to get that checked on a very regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. We have a men's wellness panel, a women's wellness panel. We test for all sexually transmitted diseases, um, all those kinds of things that we can do. And, you know, it actually makes for a very interesting work environment for our team mm-hmm. um, because they're not doing the same things, you know, every single day, all day, you know, so our, our typical day might look like somebody coming in for a pre-employment drug screen for a company that they've applied for. Mm-hmm. The next person that came in um, is coming is uh, traveling to Bermuda and it needs a PCR test because they're traveling tomorrow. Uh, the next person who'll come in may may need a vaccine, right? Um, and the, the person in the afternoon may need um, a, a more detailed test, you know, for 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 other blood blood work, mm-hmm. you know. So it it, be, it becomes a very interesting place to be. Uh, from that perspective, by far the most fun though is somebody who's coming in to find out the sex of their baby because they're they're planning a gender reveal party, right? So, yeah. so that becomes a a fun thing, you know, as opposed to a very serious matter where they're 
looking for a job or looking to see if they have a particular disease or something of that nature. So, mm. so it makes for a very fun experience. So then, for our listeners who are parents to be or grandparents who've been not so subtly nudging <laughs> the kids about <laughs> right. having grandkids, uh, how how soon or, how, or in terms of how many weeks in? Should the parents or the mother wait until they can feel confident to come to you and then take that test? Yeah, I mean this this doesn't really take the place of an ultrasound that you might normally get, you know, uh-huh. um, th- throughout someone's pre- pregnancy. Um, but eight weeks is the minimum, mm-hmm. um, you know. But you know, we'll have people who, like I said, they're they're. It's more of a. It's not a medical necessity. It's mm-hmm. really more of I'm curious in terms of is it a boy or a girl, right? And some of it is about planning too because they may want to plan their nursery or something of that nature. But the far majority of the folks that we've seen for that purpose, they're, they're planning a party and uh, <laughs> you know, they just want to know, you know, which, which kind of is a pink smoke or blue smoke that's going to come out of whatever cannon that they're planning to fire off. Right. So, uh-huh. so yeah, it becomes a, a fun conversation. Right. So, so then, since we're kind of uh, touching a little bit uh, on the health side and you touch a little bit uh, on the cholesterol uh, and some of the labs, um, we know that there's kind of a, a, a growing industry of, Online, we can just order uh, some kind of lab online, and someone mm-hmm. kind of comes and takes the blood test, and they're concerned about their health and want to be more proactive towards it. Yeah, um, how does ArcPoint Labs kind of make themselves, uh, I guess, unique compared to all these kind of cookie cutter where we're just going to test all these things that some people have never even heard of? Yeah, I think um, to your point, Anthony, there there are people who will you know you know find a reference lab online, mm-hmm. so they may be located in Florida, California, or whatever. Um, and those companies will actually send them a kit, a prearranged kit, but they need to find a lab just to do the blood draw. So we, we serve that purpose. Okay. Right. Um, but in other cases, someone will call us directly and want to know if we perform that test. So we can actually order that test for them. No doctor, you know, prescription is required or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't accept insurance so we're a self-pay organization. So it's, um, we're easy to do business that way, you know, from that perspective. So, um, yeah, I, I think we, we offer, what I think differentiates us is um, the fact that we're mobile. Um, so we have a lab in Duluth, but we're also able to do some things in a mobile fashion. So we're not doing blood work today in a, in a mobile way, but we can. Mobile, mobile phlebotomy is, is a thing. Um, but we also we do COVID testing in a concierge way. So we, we work with a lot of individuals in the film and entertainment industry, um, as well as other folks who just um, it's convenient for them for us to come to their home or to their workplace um, to do testing. And we have businesses that will reach out to us for as well, because they have a lot of international travelers, executives that were, you know, coming in and out of, of the U S and they'll need us to come to their work location and test them. Um, so I think that makes us unique as well as the fact that we're able to, you know, we, we try not to say no. <laughs> so then for, for those who are kind of look, looking online in terms of getting uh, proactive with, with their health markers, would you be able to kind of give them guidance as to what tests are, are applicable or not applicable, or would they have to come to you with something that, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, um, we we try to we try to educate where we can. Um, that's where my wife comes into play and our team, you know, because um, they have experience, you know, in healthcare to be be able to say, here's what I've seen done before, right? Um, but generally speaking, people will call us when they already know which kind of test they want, um, and they're just looking for a lab to get it done for them. Right. So for if you're a listener and you're a business owner or someone who just wants to be proactive on health or you just kind of notice that uh, you need a PCR test mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're flying out tomorrow, how best can our listeners reach out to you? Yeah. So um, my email address is mcdowell at arcpointlabs.com. Um, our website is www 
www.arcpointlabs.com slash Atlanta dash Northeast. And we are located on Facebook and Instagram. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. So you hear here, it sounds like uh, from today's theme, uh, a lot revolves around communication, 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 uh, along with having that desire or making their vision very clear as to what that is, uh, whether it's having a vision in terms of creating a legacy to the next generation or having that hard conversation of creating some kind of business transition plan um, to bring our three wonderful guests uh, coming back. Uh, One question uh, I would like to ask is in terms of the theme of creating a legacy and having that component of communicating. If you can wound back the hands of time back to when you started the business, what would be the one major advice you would give to yourself that you feel you would have been much better served to create the legacy that you want to create going forward to the next generation. So again, the question is, if you can wind back the hands of time, the theme of communicating to yourself, your younger self, what would be the advice you would give back? So that's the question. Uh, so today, uh, this show is sponsored and brought to you by yours truly. Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial Network, securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, member FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here are independent of RAA. Our main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road in Melville, New York, 11747. Uh, You can best reach me at 631 Four six five nine zero nine zero extension is five zero seven five or my email, which is just my full name, Anthony Chen C H E N at L F N L L C dot com. Now to kind of bring our guests back, uh, the question again is: If we can wind back the hands of time with the theme of communicating and legacy, what would be the one advice uh, you would give back to your younger self? Greg. Um, I think that uh, when you first started uh, uh, very entrepreneurial, uh, uh, type A personality, uh, bull in a china shop when it came to starting companies and building companies, but uh, uh, having learned that uh, profits uh, are the applause you receive from serving your uh, your clients and serving your employees well, uh, spoken by my friend uh, Ken Blanchard, uh, that uh, being humble is not uh, a bad thing to be when you're in business. And you don't always have to have all the answers, but be humble enough to ask uh uh, professionals and experts for help uh, when you're into a thing. And so from an epithet, uh, uh, all my, uh, I would suppose it would be is uh, uh, he was a good and faithful servant. Great. Thank you, Greg. Erica. That's a tough one. Um, I think if anything, I would say to young women who are starting their own businesses um, to dig deep for courage. We can do a lot more than we believe we can. I don't know how many years I lost just working and not really seeing this as a business, just seeing it as a practice. There is a difference. We create businesses that are saleable 
as now discovered with my next gen coming in, that it is very saleable, um, that it can be a generational transfer. I think especially back in the mid-70s, we were just happy that, that we were able to do what we wanted to do. But for the, the next generation coming through, take it seriously, partner up with other people who are trying to accomplish what you are, what, what you are trying to accomplish. Um, there are a lot of networking opportunities. You're going to find different people, um, different industries, different personalities. Figure out how to work and how to help each other because partnership is really the answer in at least the Atlanta market. Thank you. Monte. Yeah, I struggled with, with this question as well. Um, so I came up with a couple of different things. Um, first is to trust yourself. Um, you know, starting this business after being in corporate America for 28 years, I learned a lot of things over the years, right? And it, and all of those things have really served me well in a very short period of time. Um, but there are times when I just didn't trust myself, tr- didn't trust my my judgment. Um, and, it, and I think it hindered me a little bit just starting out. So I think just trusting yourself and listening to that inner voice. Um, you know, for me, that's, that's a spiritual thing. Um, you know, God speaks to me in, in a lot of different ways as he does for, for, for a lot of us. And, and, uh, uh, just being able to trust that voice and move forward and know that you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. Um, I think the second thing is, is patience, you know, as a new business owner, you feel like you, you may have the right business model and everything looks great. It's a shiny new toy that you're playing with and you, it should be, a, it should be successful day one. Right. But you have to have patience to know that if, if you are doing the right things, you have the right irons in the fire, that the success will come. But you've got to continue to work for it. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So for this section, uh, this would be Anthony's take in the financial world uh, based on today's conversation uh, and topic of communicating and a legacy. So sometimes I get asked a question uh, from clients or prospect as to when is the best time to start? How do I even engage this uh tough conversation with my spouse, uh, my quick answer would be start with question of why and understanding what it is it's important to them. So sometimes just digging a little deeper uh, beyond just, oh, well, I want to have XYZ for a portfolio. Well, why is it for creating a legacy to make sure that the next generation has a slightly better life than what I had today or yesterday? Or is it something that I want to give back to the community because I've been a direct benefactor of some kind of nonprofit that intervened in my life. So when talking about financial planning, it's not always just about the, uh, the insurance and investments in the world, which is important, but at the end of the day, those are just really the tools to accomplish something. And that is being able to accomplish and succeed in one's legacy. So that's a little bit of my take. That's Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial. Thank you for listening to Family Business Radio.